it's easiest to imagine it with something that sounds exactly like another brand out in the world, right? It's easy to imagine a new soda with a name that sounds a lot like Coca-Cola or Pepsi because we're so used to that. It's very hard to imagine uh, a soda with a name like lavender or something that you've just never heard of a, a brand using that soda brand using that word. It seems really weird. What's up, branding experts? Arakira Ibegzain. And welcome to On Branding Podcast, the only podcast where I interview branding experts to give you actionable tips on everything branding and beyond. And in this episode, I interview Rob Meyerson, and we talk about brand naming process. And Rob is a brand strategist and founder of Heirloom, which is an independent brand strategy and identity firm. And prior to launching uh, his own firm, Rob was a global head of brand architecture and naming at HP. And he also held strategy director roles at several leading international brand consulting firms. So Rob has written about brand strategy and brand naming for leading publications such as TechCrunch, <coughs> Business Insider, The Guardian, VentureBeat, and Branding Strategy Insider. And Rob also hosts How Brands Are Built, which is a popular branding podcast and blog. So basically, Rob is a strategist with a strong focus on brand naming. So that's why I really wanted to have him on our, on our podcast to talk about brand naming process. Hello, Rob. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast. Thanks for having me. So you worked on the first naming project at Interbrand and it was about 15 years ago. So since then you've had a um, behind the scenes view of the naming process at um, well over a, a dozen agencies. So based on all those naming projects uh, that you've worked on, you've developed your seven step naming process, right? So. I just wanted to make this podcast actionable for our listeners and ask you to just give us some overview of your process and perhaps some of your thoughts and you can share maybe some of your tips on how to approach brand naming like a pro. Um, so starting with the naming brief, uh, because on your blog and on your podcast, you often talk about the importance of creating a naming brief, right? Right. So. Right. <clears throat> You say that, that the single biggest problem with naming is uh, decision makers who are not involved in the process, meaning that you know, if, if you work with everybody else but not the busy CEO or founder who is often the ultimate decision maker, then what oftentimes happens is um, you present the work and all you hear is no to all of your great ideas. So... There was no agreement on what we are looking for in a name, so it becomes very subjective, right? So, right. Um, and this is because they were not involved in the process from, from the beginning, right? So can you speak to that a bit? What's the goal of uh, creating a naming brief and why it's so important? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll start with a couple of things. The, the process that I outline, um, you said that I've come up with it. I, I guess I'd say that I um, have really just documented what I think is kind of standard operating procedure, having seen it and done it at all these different agencies and, and in-house. Um, different agencies and different naming professionals might have slightly different uh, paths that they take to that final name, but by and large, these are the steps that, that you kind of need to go through in order to, to really do what I consider a full naming process. And it does start with that naming brief, and again, that can differ widely depending on the situation. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of naming advice out there and um, a lot of good naming advice out there. A lot of it is geared toward um, small businesses or even entrepreneurs that are one person operations. And of course, naming in that environment is quite a bit different than in a large enterprise where you have layers in a hierarchical organization of people that need to look at a name and approve it um, before it, it goes out. Um, and so that naming brief can range, therefore, from a few emails between you and your co-founders of, you know, what do we want this name to be all about? And let's just get on the same page to a really formal document. Um, and in those larger organizations, it's typically a, a more formal document that requires some approvals before you even start coming up with name ideas. And, and I do think it is really critical for a couple of reasons. One, really just two reasons. One is it, it puts everyone um, on the record saying, this is what we want the name to be about. And that way, when you start coming up with name ideas, or even if you hire somebody else to start coming up with name ideas, they know what they're trying to do. They have some idea of what you're looking for in the name, what's inbound, what's out of bounds, even documenting what are our competitors using as names for similar things so that we don't uh, look like a copycat or get into legal trouble. Getting all that um, sorted is really important. And then also on the, so that's at the beginning of the process. And then on the tail end of the process, when you're just trying to make a decision, say everything's gone smoothly and you've narrowed it down to your top three ideas, the brief again can become really useful at that point to just take yourselves back to the beginning. You know, what did we say we wanted this name to be about and try to make more of an objective decision about which name really hits the target of that brief as defined in that brief and not just like you said, a subjective decision of, well, my favorite is this one um, or something like that. Right. So the takeaway, so just for our listeners would be to, uh, as you said, so the, the naming brief can vary from, you know, if it's a small business, uh, it might be just, you know, um, just some emails between you and, and the founders. If it's a larger organization, it's more formal. But anyways, the, the, uh, you need to align the team or you and uh, whoever is the decision maker on the on the same vision basically on what the name should express and have them approve the brief before you move into the brainstorming session right so right because we we need the, those objective criteria and this is going to allow us to judge those uh, uh naming ideas yeah exactly i left that part out but yes getting approval getting a review and approval and everyone to agree on the brief and make sure that they really read it and think about it and discuss it and don't just kind of um, say sure and, and go ahead um, because and you mentioned or you sort of alluded to a quote that I use a lot from Clive Chafer a great professional namer um, who I've worked with quite a bit who says that the the single biggest problem with with naming projects and the naming process is when you fail to get that sign off and approval at the beginning. And it's because if there's some senior decision maker or even just someone who's going to have veto power over the name and they haven't been involved at all, um, you may be completely off course and, and coming up with name ideas that just do not at all fit what they want the name to be about. There's also a little bit of psychology involved here. There, there's a lot of psychology involved in naming, but getting people involved at the beginning also sort of forces them to have a little bit of skin in the game. Um, it also, when they lo are looking at the ideas, they may see a little bit of their own thinking in those ideas. And 
as as much as you'd like to think that this doesn't influence people, they're much more likely to to approve or or sort of like uh, an idea if they feel like they have they played a hand in helping to create it. And so you want to involve them at the beginning so that they feel like they played a role. Otherwise, it's really easy to look at a list of names that um, somebody else came up with and just sort of think to yourself, well, I could have done better um, because you weren't involved in the process. And so you don't know what, what in, how much work went into all those ideas. Right. Uh, yes, it definitely makes sense. So if they're involved in the process, it's just hard for them to disagree because uh, you can point out, hey, you, uh, you approved that brief. You remember uh, we agreed on those uh, criteria. Right. Uh, right. So, okay. So once we have the naming brief ready and approved and we have some clarity on what we are looking for in a name, then the next step would be to generate name, name ideas. Right. So, uh, with that, we can jump into brainstorming, right. Which is the, the fun part, um, <laughs> and start generating those name ideas. Uh, <clears throat> so in your naming guide, you say, quote, there is no right way to generate <clears throat> name ideas but there are best practices and rules of thumb. So uh-huh. I just wanted to talk about those best practices and, and perhaps you can share with us some tips on how experts approach name generation. So for example, you talk about you know, running multiple sessions to maximize the outcome and going for quantity first and coming up with hundreds of ideas and right. you really emphasize on using the master list template, which is a spreadsheet and it's, uh, which is available and it's a great tool and I recommend everyone to go on your website, uh, howbrandsarebuilt.com and, um, and it's available for free and I think it's a great tool. So this allows us to keep things organized because ideas can come from different places, right? So right. Uh, we need to put them in, in one single um, document and, and then track all like the, the progress. So can you speak to that a bit? Right. There, there are yeah, a couple of best practices. Like you just mentioned, one, uh, it seems obvious, I guess, but um, just write everything down, have a centralized location, especially if you have lots of people coming up with ideas. You know, I know that sometimes it, it can just be teams emailing, what about this idea? What about that idea? And those email um, threads can get really messy and all of a sudden you, you sort of lose track of all the ideas. So having a person... Um, dedicated to documenting it all or a single shared document where you're putting all of those ideas um, is critical. And uh, like you said, the the sheet that I make available for free has some columns in there for sort of other data that I recommend collecting as you're just writing down all those name ideas. I I heard your episode with Alexandra Watkins and a lot of her advice is great and I don't want to, you know, repeat it, but um, there's sort of this no bad idea um, philosophy that I think you need to have, whether you're in a, you know, you're, we're all familiar with that in a group setting, but even if you're just um, naming on your own, um, and I do think a lot of naming should be done individually, even if you're breaking apart uh, and coming back together as a group and looking at what you've all come up with individually, um, you got to write everything down because something that you think is a bad idea may uh, spark something for somebody else or may give you an idea of something to look into that then um, helps you find that name. So that's a another best practice. Um, right. Yeah, I think there, there are all kinds of different ways to come up with name ideas. And I generally take a more the merrier approach um, to, to sort of coming up with ideas. I, I guess another thing that's a bit counterintuitive to people who haven't done this before is that 
uh, you do want to go for quantity first. Of course, we're concerned with quality. You know, we want the best ideas, but you're also almost always going to have to come up with way, way more names than you would think in order to find those best ideas. And that's partly just because of the way I, I think our brain works. The more you kind of dig into this, the more you think about it, the more time you spend thinking about it, the more um, really interesting ideas start to pop up. Um, another great namer that I've interviewed on, on the podcast, Amanda Peterson, said something about the first 200 ideas that anybody has for the name of something uh, is usually, th those are usually the the sort of expected ideas and they're all wrong, quote unquote. And so you have to kind of get over that hump of just like, what are the obvious ideas? And then you get the, you get into the really interesting ones. So you need to to come up with a, a bunch of different ideas. Another reason for that, of course, is um, legal availability, which is a huge aspect of naming, um, not to mention domain availability and other sort of types of um, little logistical hurdles that these names need to go through. Um, once you start ruling things out, you'll be really glad that you have 500 ideas and not just six, um, because chances are all six of those will be ruled out for some reason. Right, there are so many businesses, so many brands created every day. And it's really hard to come up with something um, that's available, right. right? Because you're gonna come up with um, everybody. We we have, you know, we we are creative, and we have great ideas. But most of those probably, you know, are going not going to be available. So, um, so let's just uh, let's talk about a, a bit about the, the brainstorming process, right? So uh, since we know uh, more or less how to do it, we can do it on our on our uh, by, by ourselves on our own um, or with a team. Uh, uh, so we go for quantity, right? We use the spreadsheet. We keep think things organized. Um, so basically what we do is we just have the brief at hand um, mm -hmm. and we pull some keywords from that brief and we just take it from there, right? We create mind maps. We can use sticky notes, uh, put them up on the wall. Or, yep. uh, or just use the spreadsheet. And then once we exhausted those keywords from, from the naming brief and those all like those initial ideas, then we go for synonyms, metaphors, and we just, we just Google basically and, and, and uh, um, browse, into, uh, browse into some di directories, Wikipedia, Desaurus, and things like that, and organize those ideas into categories or, or teams, right? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good start. Um, it doesn't all have to be online. I, I do think there's a lot of, of usefulness in looking um, at reference books uh, and you know getting your eyes off the screen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even just even just because a dictionary, a paper dictionary, is the best way to find a list of of words in order. You know, that's actually sort of hard to find online. It's easy to look words up, but if you just want to see a bunch of words that start with a series of letters. You can look at a dictionary. There's ways to do that online as well. Um, but uh, yeah, looking for just different angles um, from which to approach the puzzle as it's been laid out in the brief. The brief should have a few what I call jumping off points, a word or a handful of words that you think could be in the name or could um, contain ideas that you want to get into the name. And the easy stuff is just looking at the source.com and, and thinking of other ways of saying those. But, you know, eventually um, you should be getting into 
lists of terminology that have to do with something associated with one of those words or, or something like that. And the only other thing I'd say is um, don't try to do it all in one sitting. A lot of where your great ideas will come from um, is from kind of dwelling on it over a series of days, potentially. So sleeping on it, um, you know, making sure that you're going out into the world and, and just giving yourself a chance to get inspired by something that you see or something that you read or a conversation that you have um, as your brain is in the background working on this problem um, is really useful. And so if you have the time to spend uh, a week thinking about this kind of on and off, um, you'll find that a lot of interesting ideas will pop up. You know, you'll be sitting at dinner and all of a sudden you'll think, oh, that's another way I could have thought about that. And then when you get back to your computer, you can dig into that um, by Googling or whatever else you need to do online to kind of fully uh, examine and probe that one way of thinking about the name idea. Now, we are going to take a quick break here, but we will be right back. Listen, my mission is to help people design iconic brands. So whether you're a business leader who wants to be more intentional with branding and all of its aspects, or you are a creative who wants to attract powerful clients and truly be able to help them with branding, then you need to start with a discovery session and then develop a strategy that will inform all your creative work. And everything you need to learn how to do that, you can find in my online courses at ebegdesign.com forward slash shop, where I share with you my worksheets, case studies, video tutorials, and other additional resources to help you feel safe and strong about your process. And now let's get back to our conversation with Rob Meyerson. Yeah, that's a really great, great tip. Uh, I think it's similar to, for example, designing logos, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. just gonna take time, right? And right. Uh, and you mentioned uh, mentioned that in, in your guide as well. You take a break, socialize, exercise, um, and while doing, like while taking break, uh, also be re- being ready to write those ideas down as they pop up, right? Yeah. Um, and some of the techniques also for name generation. So for example, you talk about mix and match words. So to create like compound names, um, uh, combining uh, with prefixes and suffixes, mm-hmm. altering spelling, uh, you know, changing letters, um, perhaps, you know, using other languages, words from other languages, uh, looking for rhymes uh, and uh, idioms, quotes, songs, movies, other shows, books, podcasts, and things like that. Is, is there anything I'm missing that you think is 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 a really a great way of coming up with ideas? Yeah, I, I think everything you mentioned, and of course, it depends on the brief. You know, some of those some of those ideas are only going to make sense for certain projects, and a lot of names um, that rely on a suffix like. Uh, the L-Y names or names that end in I-F-Y like Spotify, you know, those are trends that in most cases you probably want to avoid, actively avoid rather than spending a bunch of time exploring that. But there are times that you want to at least try something like that just to see again if something really interesting pops up. The one thing you didn't mention that I think is, well, two things that are are really kind of interesting that you can do um, that I've mentioned. One is going on, on a field trip. So if you're uh, if you're naming something uh, related to farm equipment, then make sure you take the time to try to get out to a farm or, or even just a store that sells tractors or something and allow yourself to immerse uh, in that um, environment and, and see if something interesting comes up. Another um, idea that 
that works better if, if you have a team doing naming is to kind of try to name something else um, instead of what you're, so, so think of the problem as if you're naming something else. So um, if you're trying to name a microchip that, the, that is very fast, that allows computers to run really quickly, and so speed is something that you're trying to um, convey, then it might be useful to uh, go to a, a store that sells running shoes and just you know pretend you're naming a shoe that makes you run really fast and see if that allows you to come up with really interesting creative ideas that you wouldn't have come up with had you just sort of had your brain been kind of on this one track microchip microchip uh, lane of this is what we're trying to name if you can free yourself up to think about it differently then that sometimes can give rise to really interesting ideas. Right, so it's kind of like lateral thinking, right? Instead of just linear thinking. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. yeah I've heard it called obscuring the brief. Um, there's other terminology for it. it, it you know, at, at larger agencies, sometimes they will literally lie to some of the naming team and say, you guys are naming a shoe. It makes people run faster, oh, yeah. um, come up with ideas for that. And then only later will they find out, actually, you were, you know, this whole time you were working on a microchip, but you came up with some great ideas and some of them will apply just as well because you know, a metaphor that applies to running fast will also work very well for a microchip that lets your computer run fast. Right, that's really interesting. Uh, okay, so once we've exhausted our ideas and we have like hundreds of, you know, ideas, we have them in, in the spreadsheet and um, then we, next step would be to shortlist them, right? So um, we basically need to narrow down the list and focus on the strongest candidates, right? So. Uh, we so what we do we check them against the brief and mm -hmm. uh, we rate them or eliminate the weakest options uh, Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I mean it is pretty much what it sounds like just shortlisting I guess a, a couple of things that I would advise that might not um, Be obvious. I think it's really really important to do this with more than one person um, So ideally there's more than one person involved in your naming process and so you can get two or three people um, in a room or on the phone looking at the full list together um, and that's partly because when you're looking at a huge list of words it's really just hard to, to sort of notice all of them you'll, you'll get into kind of robot mode and just start going down the list and you may miss something that somebody else will catch um, or you just may not sort of catch on to why a name could be really interesting and so it's, it's just useful to have people to bounce things off of well why did you like that name and, and why didn't you think that one could work um, so that's one thing. Another really cool idea that I, I, I'm going to steal here from Jonathan Bell, who runs a great naming and branding firm called Want. He says that sometimes they will write some of their name ideas on individual index cards and put them on a table. Now, this is all pre-COVID, so we could all be in rooms together with the table. Um, but to physically have the names represented as index cards and be able to kind of move them around and push them off the table when everyone agrees that they shouldn't be on the list. That's another thing that you can do to just kind of help um, do that shortlisting as a, as a group. But ultimately you need to call that list from hundreds down to probably dozens to get into the next couple of steps, which all are about screening and, and checking to make sure that you're only retaining names that are available or viable. Right, so once we shortlisted the, the, the candidates to, like you said, uh, a couple dozen, uh, and so this gets us closer to preliminary trademark screening, right? So basically, mm -hmm. it means that we must search trademark databases like USPTO 
And here our goal is to look for identical or very similar marks in relevant classes, right? So right. Uh, we also can do like linguistic checks here, which it checks, you know, check for pronunciation issues, negative connotations, or some existing brand associations or like in different languages and cultures, right? So right. Uh, can you just walk us through this uh, process? Yeah. Um Screening uh, for both legal and linguistic um, uh, on both sides is really critical. It's whenever you hear these horror stories of names gone wrong, it's almost always because those steps were omitted or done uh-huh. done poorly. Um, you know, all the sort of, well, like Chevy Nova is the famous story, which actually isn't true, <laughs> I should say. But, the you know, supposedly it, it meant doesn't go in, in Spanish-speaking countries, and so it didn't sell well. That's a made-up story, but there are real oh, yeah? stories. Yeah, th- there are real stories like that, um, where names were offensive in, in a country or in a culture. And, and, you know, it's fun to laugh at those. And um, But it really does happen, and it really can be expensive, not to mention embarrassing, um, and require you to go back and rename something. And so to avoid that, we want to do these these screening steps. Um, and I've written some articles that go kind of deep into each of these. Um, but I guess high level, I think yeah. the mistake people make is they are a little overconfident. Um, you know, if you're not a trademark attorney, don't assume that you can easily figure out what's going to get you into hot water from a legal standpoint. Um, you know, you're a smart person. And so you can do the work and sort of get a good idea of what's going to be um, a problem and what's not, but you got to do the work. It's not just Google it and then sort of guess. Um, you really need to understand a little bit about how trademark law works and um, what it means for something to be to present more or less risk. But ultimately, you also might just want to outsource that. And there are people who do preliminary trademark screening, not to mention, of course, professional trademark attorneys who can do much deeper searches. And it's pretty cost effective and quick. So honestly, when I do naming, nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm using a professional pre-screener for, for that legal step um, to just send them, send them 45 names and uh, he'll send back the 12 that he thinks are are available or, or most likely to be safe to use. We have to be really careful with the language here because it gets into legal questions. And then similarly, similarly for linguistics, don't just ask your one Spanish speaking friend if this name means something offensive. Um, Spanish in Spain versus Spanish in Mexico, not to mention Spanish spoken by Americans in New York versus Spanish speaking by, uh, spoken by Americans in Los Angeles. There's going to be totally different slang, different connotations of different words. And so, again, just don't be overconfident. Um, you can work with a translation firm or a professional like Sutton Strategy. I, I interviewed uh, Laurel Sutton on the podcast. Um, or, you know, you can try to do it yourself. But again, get a little deeper than just the superficial, yeah, my best friend speaks Spanish and she said it's okay, so it should be fine. Right. Okay, just to sum up for, for our listeners, this is really important step. You shouldn't skip that. Um, and you can do it yourself or you can hire a firm and, and they exist for a reason because uh, it might not be as easy as you think. It's not just about Googling. Uh, so you can either, so as you said, you yourself, you use nine out, nine out of ten times, you use professional um, firm. Um, for that so but you can do it yourself um, so we are just looking for you know options that are less risky so um, 
we end up with um, some names that are less risk, are deemed as less risky, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So then so the next step would be to present those names back to um, to the decision makers, right? And, and at this point, uh, we have uh, about maybe uh, a, a dozen, uh, right? And, and yep, then and then we present uh, and we present those and we we try to get uh, that that list down to about five or six a right. handful uh, just because the next step after presentation would be you know full legal uh, search and and this can be a long process and very costly right so right uh, we don't want to check like we don't want to uh, we just want to focus on those five or six best candidates so how to present the, the, uh, those names to decision makers? What are some of the best practices? So, for example, you, you say, quote, getting a client or your own team to agree on a single brand name is 1% creativity and 99% psychology. And this is something you already mentioned, uh, right? So can you just elaborate on that? And what are some of the best practices of presenting names? Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't be fooled into thinking that these... Um genius creative names that you've come up with um, are going to result in, you know, you show it to the team and everyone gives you a round of applause and a standing ovation and, and in instantly agrees that that's the best name. Um, unfortunately, it, it, it does not usually work like that. The name doesn't jump off the page or the PowerPoint slide and, and everyone agrees on it. Um, there's a lot of psychology involved here. I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's sort of the not created here syndrome of, well, I didn't make up this name. Um, and so I don't like it. And, you know, you mentioned logo design as well. I'm sure this is not that different. I suppose the one difference is that naming everybody uh, in a business setting knows how to read and write and can put a string of 10 letters together. And unlike design where people are a little more humble and they might say, well, I could never make a logo like that, but Certainly they would say, well, I, I can come up with words. I can flip through a th thesaurus. So um, a couple of best practices, make sure you r review the brief again to get everyone, give everyone a reminder of what you're trying to do with the name. Um, talk a little bit about the process. Uh, it's, you know, it can be tedious, but just warm people up a little bit before you start just sending them, showing them names and certainly don't just send them a list over email or text it to them and say, what do you think? Um, you need to maybe teach or train them a little bit about how to evaluate names. It's very hard to look at uh, names on a page or a PowerPoint slide and imagine that being a real brand out in the world. Um, it's easiest to imagine it with something that sounds exactly like another brand out in the world, right? It's easy to imagine a new soda with a name that sounds a lot like Coca-Cola or Pepsi because we're so used to that. It's very hard to imagine uh, a soda with a name like lavender or something that you've just never heard of a, a brand using that uh, or, or a soda brand using that word, it seems really weird. But of course, in branding, we, we want to be distinctive. We want to be different. And so um, there's a little bit of a counterintuitive thing. And so telling people how to think about names and then showing the names in a little bit of a realistic mock-up you don't have to design a logo for each name. Right? I would never go that far. But, you know, if it is a soda, then try to show it on a soda can so that people can make that mental leap of, oh, yeah, you know, I could maybe see that on the shelf at the grocery store. Or if it's a more corporate thing, I, I could see that on my business card and imagine going to a conference and saying, hi, I work for blank. 
um, that will help them a little bit as well. Um, and so there, there's more to it than that, but those are some of the most important kind of high notes of, of what to try to do when you're presenting names. Right, so you started with an overview. So the presentation, just from technical standpoint, uh, you just use PowerPoint or Keynote or Google Slides, right? Typically. Uh, yeah. Um, so you started with an overview, as you said, you talk about the process. Uh, what was the process? Um, you talk about the brief, uh, uh, you know, what we are naming, why we are naming that, uh, what the name should convey, the tonality and so on. And then uh, you quite a lot talk about priming the audience, and this is uh, what you just mentioned just, just now, to uh, make sure that the team understands you know, how to approach this presentation. And um, one thing that you say, uh, say quite a, a lot is that you know, it's easy to just uh, you know, think about in terms of like, do I like it? But we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that. We should rather you know, think about whether it's gonna work, right? It's, similarly, it's similar to logos, right? They gonna right. feel unfamiliar and maybe, uh, and, and just, so just don't expect to fall in love with, with the name, right? As you said, it's not gonna uh, just, you know, you're not gonna fall in love with that name immediately. It's gonna feel uh, uncomfortable at the beginning. So, um, so you need to prepare your, your team for that. And then you just present those name ideas one by one. So if you have a, if you have a dozen, uh, you can create some mockups, but you wouldn't go as far as to actually designing. It, it would be just black and white, basically, mm -hmm. right? It's just to focus on the name itself, but yeah. it will allow us to just see those names in context. And then the, the summary would be just to show all the names on one slide, right? To, to just discuss them. And, and one thing that you also, uh, um, uh, talk about a lot quite a lot is to invite discussion after you show all the name ideas right can you just talk right. to, to us a bit about that yeah one of the things you're really trying to do in a naming presentation is avoid bias avoid creating bias yourself and avoid other people in the room biasing everybody else um, and so you mentioned it um, thanks for reminding me when you're showing the names you don't want to, one of the reasons you don't want to create a logo for each name is it, it would be too much work, but also um, it could just bias people uh, subconsciously. They might think they don't like the name, but actually they don't like the color that you chose for it. And so keep it pretty consistent from slide to slide. And then at the end of the presentation, yes, show all the names here, the, the 12 that we just looked at, um, give them a few seconds to think, maybe uh, check their notes that they might've taken because yes, I, I tell them to, to try to let me present everything before we start having a discussion on any one name. And that's also just partly, you know, timing and things like that. Um, but with the summary up there, it's really important to, to not have somebody jump in and say, well, I hate that idea. The second that happens, it sort of poisons the well. That idea becomes uh, something that other people in the room might be embarrassed to then speak up for, even if they were originally liking it. Um, and again, this is where psychology really comes in. So I always invite people to, um, I know there are some that you, you know, that maybe you think don't work, but let's focus on the ones that you like, or the, I try not to use that word like, but the ones that you think um, could work well, um, that really hit the brief. Um, 
even if there's just two or three, or if you think there's, you know, 10 of them, just list those out and talk a little bit about why you think they're working. And we'll go around the whole room, metaphorically speaking, and have everybody do that first and try to avoid any naysaying. Um, and that way you're, you're getting everyone's positive reactions first and they can um, think about other people's positive reactions and, oh, I didn't think of that. That's a good thing about that name that I hadn't really, you know, been drawn to. And then you have a discussion about, you know, which name is working, which names are working the best. And, and that's how you start to get it down to, like you said, that five or six that you might want to put into legal. Of course, you can always then then open up the discussion to, well, you know, three people said this name was working, but I, I have a big problem with that. And here's what it is. And you can get into that debate. But if, if that negative um, sentiment starts coming into the conversation too early, it can kind of um, drag the whole uh, the whole presentation down and make it hard to align on the, the few that you want to put into legal. Yeah, I can see that happening. It's, it, similar things can happen with logo design presentations. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so after the presentation, now to another point, we should have about five to six names, right? As I mentioned earlier. And so, so the, one of the last steps would be to just uh, do full legal screening and and this is really important, and um, but this is a, uh, it can take a long time and it can be costly too. So um, even though you've gone through preliminary trademark screening uh, earlier in the process, you still need to hire a, a trademark attorney uh, to perform a full legal search, right? So can you just talk to us like how much it costs, how long it takes, and where to find trademark attorneys? Sure. And, and this is, you know, usually you'd want to do this. It's really all, a lot of these steps are about your risk tolerance for the name. Um, if this is, if you're naming your company and you plan on being in business for a long time and you're, you know, you're taking this seriously, then I, I recommend these steps. I suppose there are occasions where maybe you just have a really high risk tolerance and you, you know, if, if somebody contacts you and says that you're infringing my rights by using that name and I want you to stop, if, if you feel like, Oh, that would be okay. I would just stop if that happened. Then maybe you don't need to do this step. But yeah, typically you want to get a professional trademark attorney, an experienced trademark attorney to look at any name before you um, put it out into the world and, and you know, put all of the effort into building a brand around that name. Because worst case scenario is you put years into building a brand and then realize you really never should have used that name and somebody else has the rights to it and you got to stop and, and start right. over. Um, you know, you can find trademark attorneys online and uh, there are all kinds of services. I, 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 one of the people I work with to do preliminary trademark screening is also a professional trademark attorney. Um, her name's Angela Wilcox um, and runs Wilcox IP. She's great. Typically you're talking about hundreds of dollars maybe per name um, to do that deeper search. It can really range in terms of how long it takes from days to weeks. Um, you know, if you're inside of a large organization and you're using your in-house counsel to do it, then it depends on how busy they are, you know, how many people they have dedicated to, to trademark uh, or IP law, if, if any. Um, so it, it really depends. One of the things I, I advise corporate clients to do is to start that conversation early. So reach out to their in-house counsel or outside counsel, if that's the case, and say that, you know, ask these questions. We have, we're trying to name something. We're going to have some names in a couple of weeks that we're going to send you. How much will it cost? How long will it take? Any, any thinking that, you know, they want to put into the process before you put all the effort into the naming. 
Right, right. So basically, that's it. So we are left with, you know, um, we need to ask, um, uh, we need to assess the risk associated with each name. So uh, after that, uh, we are left with probably a couple of names and we just need to select the winner, right? So we present right. them back to the decision makers and together we choose the final name uh, with the, that with the lo lowest level of risk, right? So um, Pro probably, I mean, it, lawyers also are not going to tell you, you can't use these names and you can use those it's usually not so black and white they'll they'll give you a sense of the degree of risk and you know sometimes you might want to choose one that's just a little bit riskier but that you think has a lot of other things going for it so you have to just balance everything and, and legal is a big thing to consider but it's not the only uh, factor uh, and just uh, to our listeners rob has a lot of resources available on his website so everything from naming brief templates to as we mentioned the master list template the spreadsheet and also an in-depth guide to generating names and so on so i really encourage you to check out his website howbrandsarebuilt.com so as we are approaching the end of our interview please let us know how we can find more about you and the work you do and uh, how to connect with you and uh, I will include those things in the description. So like you mentioned, howbrandsarebuilt.com is the blog. Um, and also if you look for the, the podcast of the same name, you'll find that. Um, I do make all of those guides and templates available for free. I also have a lot of links to um, other people's naming guides, other agencies naming guides and books that people have written about brand naming. Um, you know, this is the stuff that I'm interested in and I, I like reading and, and getting ideas from. So I, I try to make all that available and make some recommendations as well. So you'll find a lot of that by going to the website and, and clicking resources in the upper right corner. Um, I also run Heirloom, my own um, agency. I, I do brand strategy work and identity work. Um, and you can find that at heirloomagency.com. And then for both Heirloom and How Brands Are Built, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, shouldn't be too hard to find if I've, if I've done everything right. So this is it for today's episode and make sure to go and check out Rob's website and follow him on social media. And you can find all the links on this episode's page at ebekdesign.com slash podcast slash 14. So thanks for tuning in and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to my podcast for more tips on branding, strategy and design. This was Arek Dvorniczak from Ebek Design.